0: Hey, I'm Zach. I'm the lead pastor here at Restore. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast today. I hope that this message encourages you, I hope that it inspires you, and I hope that it causes you to dive deeper into God's Word. I also hope that you have some community around you that you can talk through some of these things with. I want to remind you that we are in the middle of our year in the story, which is really this deep dive into God's great story and our place in it. If you'd like more information about that or more information about our community here at Restore, you can get that on our website at restoreaustin.org. We'd really love to see you soon. Thanks for listening. For the last 11 years, the Harris Poll has been conducting a survey called the Annual Happiness Index. In this past year, 33% of Americans reported feeling very happy overall. This was up from the year before, in which 31% of Americans said they were happy, but down from the year before that when 34% reported being happy. For the last 11 years, as they've been conducting this annual happiness index, the number has never been higher than 35% or lower than 31%. No matter what was happening in life, no matter what was happening in our country, through three different presidents, through war and peace, financial crises, economic booms, low unemployment, high unemployment, natural disasters, protests, political unrest, no matter the circumstances, about one-third of Americans say they are happy and two-thirds say they are not. There's even negligible differences across age, race, gender, political party, education, and income lines as well. When interpreting these results, some sociologists have said this doesn't only signify that two-thirds of Americans are unhappy, it also means that Americans as individuals are unhappy two-thirds of the time. Basically, at any given time, two-thirds of Americans are unhappy, and any given American is unhappy two-thirds of the time. Or we could say that according to this survey, 66% of the people in this room right now are unhappy. And 100% of the people in this room can expect to spend 66% of their lives unhappy. You with me? It's exciting stuff, isn't it? It's kind of sad. When you pair these numbers with the fact that suicide rates have risen nearly 30% since 1999, it really becomes absolutely heartbreaking. Many people have attempted to figure out why the results came out this way and continue to come out this way year after year, but no one has been able to definitively say why most of us are unhappy. You may remember Kate Spade and Anthony Bourdain committed suicide this past summer, and after that, a writer named Kirsten Powers wrote an article in USA Today entitled, Americans are depressed and suicidal because something is wrong with our culture. And in this article, in addition to addressing people battling mental illness and chemical imbalances, Kirsten points to a lie that our culture tells, which greatly contributes to our general unhappiness. Here's what she says. We exist largely disconnected from our extended families, friends, and communities, except in the shallow interactions of social media, because we are too busy trying to, quote, make it, without realizing that once we reach that goal, it won't be enough. If only we get that big raise, or a new house, or have children, we will finally be happy, but we won't. In fact, in many ways, achieving all your goals provides the opposite of fulfillment. It lays bare the truth that there is nothing you can purchase, possess, or achieve that will make you feel fulfilled over the long term. I just want to repeat that last line for us again. There is nothing you can purchase, possess, or achieve that will make you feel fulfilled over the long term. Y'all, I believe that with my whole heart not just because I, I cognitively understand it to be true, but because I've experienced it over and over and over again. One of my favorite authors is this guy named John A. Cuff, and he puts it like this. Some of the worst moments in my life have been when I've idolized success, achieved it, and instantly realized it didn't fix me. And here's the thing. If, if you've interacted in this broken world and with the broken people that inhabit it, even for a small amount of time, you know this is true. Like you know it, deep down in your soul, you know that there is no possession, achievement, or amount of money you can have that is going to truly give you joy. You know that your next paycheck won't bring you long-term fulfillment. You know your next promotion won't satisfy you forever. You know that driving a nicer car, getting the best grades, or having the newest technology won't bring the permanent joy, the, the, the utter happiness that you're looking for. Y'all, we're looking for joy in all the wrong places. Most notably, we're trying to find it in our success and in our stuff. That's where we look for joy, our success and our stuff. But every single one of us know, we know deep down that no amount of stuff or success in the world can make us truly happy for the rest of our lives. It always, always fades away. It's never enough. We know it and we've always known it. And since the very beginning, the God-inspired authors of the Bible knew that. They knew success and stuff couldn't bring lasting happiness or joy, and that's why when they wrote about joy, it was connected to something else entirely. As Matt said, last week we began this series called Advent where we're focusing in on these four themes that are found throughout the Bible. Hope, joy, peace, and love. Last week we talked about hope, this week we're talking about joy. Now that word Advent is important because it actually comes from the Latin word Adventus, which means coming. And Advent is this this time, this season every year where people look back to the first coming of Jesus and remember the anticipation that that had and and also look forward to the second coming of Jesus when he comes back again in the future and, and finishes this work of restoration that he is on. Just like last week and throughout this Advent series, we're gonna take a look at a video from an organization called The Bible Project. And this organization does these videos around these Advent themes and it outlines how they're used all throughout Scripture. So we're gonna look at this one about joy. And if you weren't here last Sunday, these videos are about four minutes long and they are packed full of amazing information that can really help us understand what biblical joy is all about, how the writers understood where to find joy. And just a little hint, it wasn't in stuff or success so here you go we're gonna watch it together
1: being in a good mood is really great and most languages have lots of words to describe the experience like happy cheerful joyful and so on The same goes for the languages of the Bible. In ancient biblical Hebrew, there's a variety of words like simcha, sason, or gil. In the Greek New Testament, there's kara, yufresune, or agaliasis. Each word has its own unique nuance, but they all basically refer to the feeling of joy and happiness. Now, what makes these biblical joy words interesting is noticing the kinds of things that bring happiness and also seeing how joy is a key theme that runs through the whole story of the Bible. Let's start with sources of joy. On page one of the Bible, God says that this world is very good. And so naturally, people find joy in beautiful and good things of life, like growing flocks or an abundant harvest on the hills. The poet of Psalm 104 says a good bottle of wine is God's gift to bring joy to people's hearts. find joy at a wedding or in their children. There's even a Hebrew proverb that compares the joy that perfume brings to your nose with the joy a good friend brings to your heart. However, human history isn't just a joy fest. The biblical story shows how we live in a world that's been corrupted by our own selfishness. It's marked by death and loss. And this is where biblical faith offers a unique perspective on joy. It's an attitude God's people adopt not because of happy circumstances but because of their hope in God's love and promise. So when the Israelites were suffering from slavery in Egypt God raised up Moses to lead them into freedom and the first thing the Israelites did was sing for joy. Even though they were in the middle of a desert they were vulnerable the promised land was still far away they rejoiced anyway. Later biblical poets looked back on this story and they remembered how the Lord caused his people to leave with joy his chosen ones with shouts of joy. This joy in the wilderness this was a defining moment a way of saying that the joy of God's people is not determined by their struggles but by their future destiny this theme appears later in Israel's story when Israel suffered under the oppression of foreign empires the prophet Isaiah looked for a day when God would raise up a new deliverer like Moses that's when those redeemed by the Lord will return to Zion with glad shouts with eternal joy crowning their heads happiness and joy will overtake them and while the Israelites waited they chose joy to anticipate their future redemption. This is why it's significant that when Jesus of Nazareth was born, it was announced as good news that brings great joy. We're told that Jesus himself rejoiced and gave thanks to God his Father when he began to announce the kingdom of God. He even taught his followers the same joy in the wilderness, saying, when people reject you or persecute you for following me, rejoice, be very glad, because your reward is great in heaven. After his death and resurrection, Jesus commissioned his followers to go out and announce the good news that he was the risen king of the world. And as they did so, the early Christian communities were known for being full of joy, even when they were persecuted. Like when the Apostle Paul was sitting in a dirty Roman prison, he could say that he's chosen joy, even if he gets executed. He called this the joy of faith or joy in the Lord. He believed it was the gift of God's Spirit, a sign that Jesus' presence is with you inspiring hope in the midst of hardship. And when you believe that Jesus' love has overcome death itself, joy becomes reasonable in the darkest of circumstances. Now this doesn't mean that you ignore or suppress your sorrow. That's not healthy or necessary. Paul often expressed his grief about missing loved ones or losing friends or his own freedom. He called it being full of sorrow and yet rejoicing. As he acknowledged his pain, he also made a choice to trust Jesus that his loss wouldn't be the final word. This is very different from the trite advice to turn that frown upside down. Christian joy is a profound decision of faith and hope in the power of Jesus' own life and love. And that's what biblical joy is all about.
0: I love the, the difference between the trite turn your frown upside down and actually choosing joy. It's, it's a beautiful picture that is present throughout Scripture. Now, I love what Tim says in that video about God's people and how they find joy, right? He says, joy is an attitude God's people adopt, not because of happy circumstances, but because of their hope in God's love and promise. And as he said, this joy was never clearer than when God's love and promise became incarnate when God's love and promise took on flesh. Advent is all about anticipating the coming of Jesus and God's people had been anticipating the coming Messiah, the savior, Jesus for a very, very long time. And they'd been finding hope, finding joy as they waited for his arrival. And then when the people were least expecting it, he came. Like we sang a few minutes ago, joy came into the world. Can you imagine? God himself arrives in this beautiful humility. There was no room in the end, so they ended up with the animals. They were a quiet little family then. You just picture them all. We've seen the, the movies, right, and the pictures of it's just them and like the cow and the donkey and the horse and maybe Jesus laying in the straw. They were a quiet little family then, but it didn't stay that way for long. This joy wasn't going to be contained by a manger. Verse 8, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. A great joy for all the people, Jesus Christ, the savior, the Messiah, the Lord. And from that moment forward, Jesus spent his life on earth, bringing joy to the broken parts of our world. He healed the sick, he gave sight to the blind. He fed the hungry, he gave water to the thirsty. He set people free from slavery and he forgave people's sins. And then, during some of his final moments on earth, Jesus talked about the source of all the joy that he was bringing to the people. It happens as he and his closest friends are sharing what Jesus knows will be their very last meal together. It comes to be known as the last supper in the upper room right before Jesus goes to die on the cross. We pick up the story in John chapter 16, verse 16. This is where we'll spend most of our time today. So if you want to turn there on your Bible or on your phone, the verses will also be on the screen behind me. So Jesus went on to say, in a little while you will see me no more. And then after a little while you will see me. At this, some of his disciples said to one another, what does he mean by saying, in a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? And because I am going to the Father, they kept asking, what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he's saying. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this, so he said to them, are you asking one another what I meant when I said, in a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? Very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. Jesus has been telling his disciples for a while that he was going to be betrayed and killed by the religious leaders in Jerusalem. When he says, you will see me no more and you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices, that's what he's talking about. He is actually, if you know the story, he's about to be executed by public opinion. The crowd who just days before had chanted, here comes our savior, Hosanna in the highest, when he rode into Jerusalem, will chant, crucify him and send him to the cross. And as he dies, the crowd will rejoice, but his friends will mourn. They'll have grief, it'll be hard. But that's not the end of the story. Their grief will turn to joy. And there's our theme word again. Their grief will turn to joy. How? Jesus explains with an illustration. Verse 21. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you, it is the same. Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice. And listen, no one will take away your joy. Some of y'all know that a few months ago, my wife Amy and I had our, our youngest son. And I'm being generous with my involvement. Um, so Amy had our youngest son a few months ago. I was, had a very small part in the process. I helped a little bit on the front end, and then I like to think that I was a good encourager during the actual time of childbirth. Um, but even as someone not directly involved in that process, I can tell you all this, it looks terrible. Like, <laughs> it, seems, it seems painful, you know what I mean? There's certainly some anguish. That's what you know, John says Jesus said here, right? On average, labor lasts about eight hours. And it wasn't until fairly recently that modern medicine could help with some of the pain. And still today, many women can't or choose not to use it. And even the ones that do know that this is a long, hard, and often excruciating process. Childbirth is hard. But when that little baby arrives, all of that pain turns to joy. Our little guy, Major, Turned three months old a few days ago. I brought a picture of him with me so you could check him out. That's really not related to the sermon. I just want to show him to you. <laughs> no, but but seriously, like, like the moment that little face popped out, it was just pure joy, right? No, nothing else mattered anymore. It didn't matter that there were maybe complications in pregnancy or, or that something had been hard during the labor process. Like when he popped out and he starts crying like that, It's just joy, like everything else is gone. You know, the grief that we had experienced before, it's it's no more, it's just joy. Jesus is saying that in the same way, the disciples' grief about his death will turn to joy when they see his face again when he rises from the dead. Jesus says, I will see you again, and when I do, I will bring such great joy that no one will be able to take it away from you. Through the resurrection of Jesus, he has given us access to abundant joy and life. I mean, that's why he came, right? He says, I have come to bring life and life abundantly. He says, the enemy comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come, wife, to bring life and joy and hope. That's why I'm here. And that is beautiful, beautiful news. But it begs an important question. If we have access to this incredible joy from Jesus that that no one and no circumstance can take away from us, then why don't we experience it more often? Why at any given moment and on any given day are two thirds of us unhappy? Honestly, I think the answer is really simple. I think most of us miss out on the joy Jesus offers because we are so busy trying to create joy for ourselves. We miss out on joy from Jesus because we are so consumed with trying to find it for ourselves. Like Kirsten said in the article I referenced, there is nothing you can purchase, possess, or achieve that will make you feel fulfilled over the long term. Listen, has has anything you've ever purchased, possessed, or achieved brought you a lifetime of joy? Never. If we are allow ourselves to be brutally honest, the answer is a resounding no. Because the stuff we purchase, it gets old. It gets broken. We need something new. We need more. The stuff we possess, it, it loses its luster. After a while we have it, we, we know it's not really enough to satisfy us. The things we achieve don't last the things that bring true and lasting joy only come from Jesus. It's found in our relationship with him. It's found in our healthy spiritual rhythms, things like time with our church family, studying scripture, having spiritual conversations and and praying. It comes from being generous with our time and with our resources. It comes from being kind and gracious others, from serving people in need, from spending time with our families, with our loved ones. That's where joy is found. But even though most of look, this isn't new information, right? Like I, I, I didn't make any of this up. I'm not telling you all this and you're like, oh my gosh, this is incredible. I, I should spend more time with people that I love and not trying to achieve all this stuff that'll never make me happy. I, I know you know this. But even though most of us know this to be true, we keep chasing possession and achievements. We keep chasing stuff and success. And listen, don't miss this. Many of us, many of us have left behind the things that will bring us true joy in favor of things that never will. That's crazy. We have left behind things we know will bring us joy in favor of things we know never ever will. And I know this is an easy trap to fall into. Like Kirsten said, there's something wrong with our society because it promises joy and hope and fulfillment in things that we all know can never give it to us. We are constantly bombarded with the temptation to chase joy somewhere else or to abandon it entirely when life and circumstances get hard. Jesus knew that. And I think that's why he ends this passage by saying this. I have told you all of these things so that in me you may have peace because in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. In this world you will have trouble. Sometimes that manifests itself in the pressure to achieve and to buy and to own and to possess Sometimes that manifests itself in in hard things, circumstances, in our control or out of our control that that so push the joy out of us. This world is a hard place. Jesus knows that, but he says, take heart. And I love this phrase, take heart, because in, in the biblical language, it's really similar to our phrase of cheer up. It's another way of saying, choose joy. Jesus is saying, I know that this world can rob you of your joy, but remember that true joy isn't found in this world. It's found in me, so choose joy. Choose joy and lasting joy that only comes from me because I have overcome this world. Don't miss out on the joy Jesus offers because you are so busy trying to find it or create it somewhere else. Don't do it. I love you too much to watch you do that. Choose joy. Choose to pursue the things that Jesus gives where true and lasting joy are found. Those relationships with the people that you love. Being generous and kind and serving people loving people without wanting something in return. Spending time with Jesus as a church family through prayer, through studying his word. Choose the things that you know bring real and lasting fulfillment. Not possessions or achievement, but people and relationships. Not stuff and success, but service and sacrificial love. When the religious leaders of the time asked Jesus what the most important law was, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. This is how we follow Jesus. This is how we choose joy. We love God with everything we have, and we love the people around us generously and sacrificially. The band is going to come back up right now. And as they do, I, I want you all to stand up with me. Okay, so go ahead and stand up with me. We're going to sing "Joy to the World" again together. We opened up with it today, and we're going to sing it again right now. And, and here's my challenge to you all. Okay, and it's an important one. So, so hear me really quick. This is my challenge to you all as we sing this song. Don't just make this another fun Christmas song. Like I know that it is. I know that it's great. I've been listening to Christmas music since May. I have a serious problem. Everybody says that. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you for the support. Don't just make this another fun Christmas song. Make it a declaration. Sing it out to choose joy this morning and choose to find it in the places that Jesus provides, not in the places you know that the world never, ever will. Okay, let me pray, and then we're going to sing. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you that you have given us access to abundant joy. That you said, I came to bring life and life abundantly. And that means joy, God, and hope and peace and love. All the things that we are diving into in this Advent season. This morning, God, help us to choose joy regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the the pressure that the world puts on to us to find it in stuff or success. God, help us to choose to find it in the place we know it actually comes from, from you and the things you provide. Make this song, this, this joy to the world song, a declaration for us this morning as we choose to choose joy. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.